Greetings and salutations in the name of our Lord. Welcome to a chilly, chilly, chilly Friday morning. I hope you're having a great day. I know I am. All right, James chapter 3. This is a, this is a hard chapter for me. Not hard in like hard to understand. Hard as in uh, the challenge is implementing it. We'll get to it. We're going to be talking about controlling the tongue. And uh, it's a subject that needs to be addressed by me to me. Again, please remember that as I saunter through these devotionals, I'm not looking for something that will benefit you. And I hope you don't take that personally. Um, I'm looking for something that benefits me. The purpose of a devotional is to take time with the Word. And give it time to soak into you and find out something in your life that needs to be addressed by it. In Psalms 1, it says, Blessed is the man who, uh, so blessed is the man, uh, <laughs> you know what? I can't remember the scripture in its uh, exact wording, but basically, blessed is the man who, oh yeah, who meditates on the word of the Lord. He's like a tree planted by streams of living water. Everything he does prospers. The word for meditate has close associations with the phrase to talk to yourself. You could say, blessed is the man who talks to himself about the word of God, who takes time, who who doesn't just walk past the riverbank, but who sits down on the riverbank and takes deep breaths. And soaks in and relaxes and thinks. Blessed is the man who meditates on the word of the Lord. That's my goal with all of this that we're doing here. If you get any benefit from it, hoo-ah, as my marine friends would say. So, let's get started. James, up to this point, as we're point of review, he's writing the perhaps the first letter to the church at large. Uh, It's the earliest letter written in the New Testament. It's about 15 or 16 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, The church is starting to scatter. The church is being separated from Judaism and beginning to be recognized as its own thing. Very Jewish flavored because it comes out of the Jewish faith. Uh, but it's it's beginning to be recognized as his own thing, and there's persecution. Saul of Tarsus, who became, later became Paul, uh, he had launched himself in his persecution of the church, and uh, he got saved. He went to Tarsus. He came back. Saul, Paul is getting ready to go on his first missionary journey with Barnabas, just after this letter is written here. So the church is still reeling from the persecution. Plus, the Jewish people are, I'm sure, conflicted because they saw Jesus as a fulfillment of the Jewish faith. And you can imagine their hurt when the Jewish faith started to reject them because of their faith in Jesus. Judaism and Christianity started to separate. And that had to be an issue for a lot of Jewish people. How are they to respond to that? 
Then you have the Gentiles, which are being added to the body of Christ about this time. What are we supposed to do with these Gentiles? They're not Jewish. They don't think like us. They're not from our culture. They don't understand our culture. Um, what do we tell them? To, how do we tell them to behave? So you see, James is presiding over the church as, as an organizational leader, I guess you'd say. And uh, so he had some big issues to deal with. And this letter kind of points at these things, not directly, but this whole letter is like a New Testament version of the book of Proverbs, practical things to do and say, which leads me to my point, something I was thinking about this morning when I got up. Some people would say that the book of James smacks of legalism, that uh, it's spending so much time telling us what to do. You know, it's, it's almost like some folks want to say, you're not the boss of me. And uh, there's James is full of practical instruction along those ways, like Proverbs in the Old Testament. But you got to look at it from James' point of view. How should a Christian behave? How should someone whose life has been reborn, who has had a heart of flesh planted in them, who's um, been regenerated, who has bowed their knee, to Jesus, the Messiah. How, how should they behave? That's really what he's addressing here. So, uh, there, when usually when somebody cries out legalism, they're say, they're they're angry because you're telling they're angry because you're trying to tell them to do something. You can't tell me what to do. That's legalism. I also tend to think that's primarily an American issue believe it or not, because in America, there's a very heavy individualistic patriotic thing where uh, the government can't interfere. You can't tell me what to do. We're very individualistic. That's in our nature. When I traveled to Russia on a mission trip, I didn't see any of that attitude. They were very concerned about what a Christian should do or how a Christian should behave. And they saw it as James sees it. Christian behavior should be an outgrowth of your relationship with God. James is in essence saying, if you are a believer, this is what that should look like. And we're going we're gonna to review some of that as we go through this. But let's look at James chapter 3, verses 1 through 9 right now. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. All right, there's a lot to unpack here. First of all, I wrote something here. It says, to the degree that we control our mouth, to that degree we control our life. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart brings forth evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Luke chapter 6. You know, not many of you should become teachers. When I became a Christian, I dove into the Word in a huge way. I started studying Hebrew and Greek because I really believe that the closer you get to the original languages, the closer you can get into the 
the original meaning of the words written, I'd already begun to see that some people were taking the Bible to make it say things that they wanted it to say and were getting away from what the Bible really was saying. I'll get into that in a little bit. But I wanted to become a teacher. I wanted to become a preacher. I thought that's what I was supposed to be. And I have a love for the original languages. I have a love for Bible study and doing deep dives and and getting into the nitty-gritty of the Scripture. And uh, I was attending a church with full thought down the road of becoming a pastor. And I was working with with my pastor. And uh, something was said to me that changed my trajectory somewhat. And it was by a man that I respected more deeply than I think he will ever know. Uh, His name was Les. He was an associate pastor at this church. And he was working with me as I, I would teach on some Sunday evenings. He would, he told me one time, he said, don't take this wrong, but I'm going to say something really hard. So, all right, let's go. He said, you're teaching this book like you know the words. And you do. But you're not teaching this book like the one who wrote it. You're not teaching this I'm not sure I'm saying that right. He said, I'm trying to remember correctly what he said. He said, you're not teaching this like you really know what this word means. You're teaching what this word says. Now, that might sound like doublespeak to you, but I understand what he's saying. As an example, uh, in 1989, Hurricane Hugo hit the coast of South Carolina as a Category 4 hurricane. We were directly in its path, and we went through Hurricane Hugo. It was a devastating experience, one of the most frightening experiences I think I have ever lived through. And on the backside of Hurricane Hugo came a tornado that ripped the roof of my house apart. So I went, I, when I talk about what an, a hurricane is like now, There's weight behind my words because I've experienced it. I've lived through it. I can tell you the horror of seeing an automobile tumbling down the road. I can tell you, I can experience the horror of hearing your roof being torn away and the air being sucked out of the house as a funnel cloud drifts over the top of your home. I can express to you the fear of that moment, of having my five-year-old son saying, Daddy, please make it stop. My son always thought I was Superman when he was little. And at that moment, he discovered that I wasn't. I can, I can relate those moments to you and explain to you some things about hurricanes that will tell you very quickly that I know what I'm talking about. Now, prior to that, I'd always been fascinated with hurricanes. I could have told you all sorts of facts about hurricanes, but my words would have carried no weight. 
because it would be obvious that I'd never experienced it. Another example, I'm a guitar teacher. When I began teaching guitar, I knew a lot about guitar. I had a lot of theories about guitar. And like anything else, because I have an engineer's mind, I read a lot of books, did a lot of studying. And I could tell you about this scale or that scale, um, this chord or that chord, how to apply it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Chord substitutions, blah, 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 blah. I could tell you all this stuff and sound really smart while doing it. But when I started teaching guitar out of necessity, because I'd lost my job, I discovered that a lot of the things that I thought sounded right were in fact not right. As I practiced and played myself and played in gigs and with bands and I played out in the real world, I began to sort through the stuff that I thought I knew and replace it with the things that I know that I know. And that impacted my teaching, my guitar teaching. My guitar teaching became much more narrow in scope and much more practical in application. So not many of us should become teachers because you know that we who teach, we judge more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. And we're starting to get a little hint about where James is going in this chapter. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. He's going to talk about our mouth. And this is a problem of mine. When we put bits into the, into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Huge thousand pound animal can be turned with just a little bit in its mouth. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. James has some strong words about people who are talking too much. My, uh, my dad had a piece of advice when I was younger. When I started, I, I was a bit of a smart aleck. Controlling my mouth was an issue when I was growing up. I always got in trouble in school for talking too much or by saying inappropriate things. My dad told me once, he said, son, don't let your mouth write a check that your butt can't cash. Now, what he was saying was, don't say something that you can't back up. Our tendency is just to blurt things out as if we know things. And I see that in the body of Christ a lot today. When I started, uh, when I became a Christian, I assumed I wanted to be a preacher or a teacher. And I soon realized that I didn't want to be a preacher teacher. I wanted to be a rock star. Because in the Christian body, in America especially, the preachers, the teachers, the prophets, whatever, you know, these positions, these out front positions, they're the rock stars of the Christian church. A pastor of a big church is a big deal. 
And it takes a special kind of man to deal with that and not get a fat head about it all. I wanted to be a rock star. I wasn't equipped to be a teacher in the body of Christ. And I realized that. And part of that is because, like that pastor told me, I was a relatively new Christian. He said, look, you're, you're, you're teaching this like you know the words. Not like you know the one who wrote the words. There's an old story told of, uh, uh, of, a, of a contest where people would give speeches. And this one young man went out and quoted the Psalms 23. And he was an incredible orator. Had incredible command of his voice, of the stage. And when he, when he recited Psalms 23, it was magnificent. Received a standing ovation. People were just, they loved what he said. Then an old man comes out. And he recites the Lord's Prayer. He just comes out and sits on a stool. And he recites the Lord's Prayer. And at the end of his recitation, the room was quiet. Like a prayer, quiet. And the young man who just quoted Psalms 23 asked his friend, said, what just happened? And his friend told him, well, you, you know the words. He knows the one who wrote the words. There's something to be said about someone who's speaking from experience as opposed to someone who's speaking from what they know in their brain, academically. I wanted to be a rock star in the church when I was younger. And God said, no. Best call God ever made in my life because I am so not wanting to be a teacher or a preacher or a prophet or anything like that in the body of Christ. I prefer exactly where I'm at, doing what I'm doing. So James calls for Christians to let all their speech be consistent with their Christian profession. That's all, that's all he's talking about here. Understand that the tongue is a dangerous thing unleashed. And not, and not everybody should want to be teachers. There are some who need, we need teachers in the body of Christ. But if, if that is your goal, you need to be aware of the fact that maybe what you're looking for is to be a rock star in the body of Christ. Hmm. Big difference. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But... No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Whoa. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. All right. Here's where I do what I heard an old man say once. An old man that I sat next to in church, <laughs> we're listening to a sermon, and he's a friend of mine. 
and he 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 was joking when he said this, but the pastor went from preaching to to preaching about application, some point of behavior. I can't even remember what it was he was talking about. But this old man sitting next to me says, "Uh oh, he's gone from preaching to meddling." <laughs> Basically, because the preacher was was recent point in the sermon, he's telling us how we should act, what we should do. Again, that just goes against the American individual individualistic spirit that says you're not the boss of me, you can't tell me what to do. Yet the preacher was telling us what to do, and that this is where in verses nine, ten, eleven, and twelve, this is where I'm probably going to offend some folks. And I don't mean to, but maybe I do kind of mean to. Well, we'll see. We praise our Lord, with our tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings. Now, curse, that's an ugly word. That has lots of things wrapped up in and around it. To denigrate, to talk down to, to yell at, to call somebody names to uh, uh, there's an element of anger involved and pride involved when we curse a human being it's not when we curse a human being it's not just using curse words which are uncouth and really should not have part of our lives but when you're cursing somebody, when you curse another human being, you're denigrating them, you're speaking down to them, you're calling them names, you're making fun of them, you're, you get the, get the idea, all that negative stuff that's associated with that word, you're cursing human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Now, here's why I go from preaching to meddling. I'm totally against what I hear coming out of Christians' mouths in today's political arena. Too many Christians, I believe, are too quick to call names. Even in the name of, quote-unquote, making fun or making a joke. It's not a joke. When you call somebody a name, it's not a joke. I grew up, I was bullied for a time in my elementary school years. And the reason I was bullied is because I was different. I was an oddball. I get that. I know that now. But the tendency of children in the schoolyard, many times, is to be very cruel. And they make fun of me, the way I'd react, the way I'd respond. Um, one time they used to, they, they put me in the middle of a circle and were shoving me back and forth, not letting me get away from the circle until I picked up rocks and started throwing them at, the, at my tormentors. And they used to, and I'd be crying when I did it. And they would, call me Chief Crybaby Thorrock. They thought that was funny. They thought that was hilarious. It wasn't funny. It wasn't hilarious. It hurt. But in their mind, it was just a joke. They didn't understand the damage their words were causing. In today's environment, politically especially, there are very many Christians that are calling other folks names. You know, I don't agree. I agree with next to nothing of President Obama's uh, political stances or viewpoints when he was pres- our president. 
But I'll tell you what, I would not mind to sit down with him and have a cup of coffee. I didn't hate him. I could voice my displeasure with his policies without calling him names. President Trump, very polarizing figure. You love him or you hate him, it seems like. Um, I'm neither. I don't love him or hate him. But many Christians can't escape cursing him or cursing his successor, President Biden. Folks, it shouldn't be that way. You don't look any different from the rest of the world when you do that. James's whole thing in this entire epistle is that Christians should look different. We should behave differently. Here he's talking about our tongue. We should control our tongue. We should control what we say. We should not curse other human beings. Today's vaccine debate, vax or not to vax. I don't care whether you vaccinate or don't vaccinate. I believe God is sovereign. If you honestly believe that God does not want you to get vaccinated, then fine. That's good. God will protect you or he won't. Just the same with those of us who take the vaccine. He'll protect us or he won't. I have a saying, I'm invincible until God says I'm not. When God calls me home, he calls me home. I don't care whether it's through Omicron, Delta variant. I don't care. When God calls me home, he's going to call me home. It could be a heart attack. It could be hit by a meteor or a bus. However God does it, God does it. I will never disparage you for choosing the vaccine or not choosing the vaccine. That's your call. But I do think we're treading on thin ice when we as Christians start calling people names and start uh, using angry, ugly speech towards those who are uh, proposing this view or that view. I think I just think it's wrong. God will protect me whether or not I choose a vaccine. And I choose the vaccine out of a matter of conscience. Okay, I got vaccinated. Yay, that's my call. I will never make fun of you or denigrate you or curse you if you choose to not get vaccinated. It's your call. It's your life. But yet, today... You run into many people that are cursing other human beings, denigrating, talking down to them, making fun of, making them the butt of jokes. When I was teaching school, I always had a dumb joke of the day portion of almost every classroom day where they could bring dumb jokes, but they couldn't bring jokes that made fun of what people looked like, acted like, preferences. They couldn't make a joke that would put somebody down. we as Christians really need to pay attention to this. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. This shouldn't be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt spring produce salt water or fresh water. The freshwater spring, I wrote, produces fresh water because that's its nature. That's what a freshwater spring does. 
But the difference is this. The freshwater spring only has one nature. We have two natures. We must actively choose to speak in accordance with the new nature planted in us and not speak evil things in accordance with the old nature still present within us. Remember that story about the, the Cherokee elder that was telling the story that we each have two wolves? One is evil, one is good. Which wolf wins? The one you feed. James is telling us, feed the right wolf. Speak in accordance with the nature that's planted in us. James is saying, in regards to our speech, this is what a believer looks like. So today, today's devotion is a big one for me. Because it reminds me that I have a mouth that's too easily running astray. I need to watch what I say. I need to behave in accordance with the nature that is in me. God has saved me. He has planted the Holy Spirit in me. I am different today than I was before I was a believer. And James is saying... I expect you to act like it. I'll close with this. When I was growing up, I got away with a lot of stuff at home around mom and dad. But when we were out in public, they expected us to behave a certain way. And we did. We were a handful, my brother and I, my little brother and I, we were a handful growing up. And mom and dad gave us lots of leeway in the house which I thought was interesting. But when we were in public, they expected a certain standard of behavior. And we pretty much delivered. My father was an ex-professional athlete, and my mother was, even though she was as sweet as a day is long, she could, she could dish out the discipline when she needed to. And we knew that when we were in public, we were expected to act a certain way. Now, we didn't always act that way at home. But we did when we were in, pu- when we were in public because mom and dad expected that. Well, guess what? God expects you as your, as your heavenly father. He expects you to act a certain way in public. That's kind of what James is getting at. And in today's lesson, watch your tongue. Does that make sense? I hope so. I think I'm going to draw the line here. Uh, This is Mr. G. Here's my coffee. Thanks for joining me today. I'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow will be wrap-up Saturday where we will review all that we've taught this week on uh, out of the book of James. And then starting Monday, I think we'll finish up chapter 3. All right, this is Mr. G, and I am out of here.